Welcome to Home Dance Film Festival, the podcast that brings a small part of the Sundance Film Festival to you. We discuss two movies that played at Sundance along with one non-Sundance film, plus a few other fun things thrown in along the way. Today we're discussing Watcher, Miss Americana, and Magic Mike. I'm Jessica. And I'm Dylan. Jessica, can I tell you about a couple movies I've been watching recently? Not necessarily great, but just something I want to tell you about. Sure. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. You just love to hear my just rambling about (laughs) mid-movies. But I do have reasons for at least one of them that are kind of on topic. Mm-hmm. The first of which is the 1951 version of the film Native Son, which is based on a 1940s, very controversial but important black novel by Richard Wright, um, which kind of deals with themes of like race relations and stuff of that nature. When the novel was published in the 1940s, it was very successful right away, but it's also highly controversial. And it was criticized by a lot of other Black artists. Like, I know James Baldwin, like, wrote some essays against it, calling out some of the more, like, stereotypical depictions in the novel, which is basically a story of a young Black man who is trying to leave his rough-and-tumble upbringing behind and try to make it more in a white world and rebuild his image. But whenever he goes to work for a a white family. Not to spoil anything, but just I'll just say um, he gets into a situation that is spirals out of control and it kind of goes from there. So it kind of deals with like how black people are viewed in America and like I said, systemic racism and all of those types of themes. And this film, or first version, the 1951 version, when it was originally released, it was highly edited and it was just recently kind of reconstructed and like added all this footage that was cut whenever it was initially released to kind of get passed by the censors. But this was recently re-released by Kino Class and I watched that Blu-ray and while the film is not great it's interesting one of the main weaknesses of it is that in a bizarre move the actor who was going to play the lead like 20 year old protagonist had problems with his visa and could not get into the country where they were filming I think they were filming in Argentina so the author Richard Wright who was like in his early 40s, decided to step in and play the protagonist, who was like a young (laughs) 20-something. And pretty much everyone agrees that his performance is kind of weird and off and everything. Overall, the film, it says some interesting things about that time period and how the black experience, and it's very tense, but it's kind of ragged and kind of weird. But it's an interesting artifact of the time, I'll say. The reason I bring this up and just go into this history is because a few years ago in 2019, there was a the third version of this was filmed and it premiered at Sundance. So Native Sun from 2019 premiered at Sundance. It eventually got acquired by HBO. But this is my way of saying, now that I've seen this original version, I think we should check out this new version and see how it compares. I know it also had its own set of controversies just because the source material is a lightning rod for controversy as it is. But I would be interested to, with you, see how this new 2019 version handles the material and has some interesting people like Margaret Qualley and Ashton Sanders and a bunch of other interesting people that are could make for an interesting adaptation. I know I've been wanting to see it for a while, but this finally inspired me. So tying it back to Sundance, <laughs> the other film, also not a great film, but an interesting film. Recently, I've been on a weird uh, Rip Torn kick because uh, like I recently reviewed a new anniversary release of Men in Black and then I also watched Canadian Bacon where he plays like an insane person and it was a lot of fun and then while I probably should have just rewatched Dodgeball you can dodge a wrench you can dodge a ball I decided to go in a much different direction and there's this movie back from like his freewheeling hippie anti-establishment days in the 1960s. He made this really weird, controversial, problematic, but like intriguing film called Coming Apart. Um, It's about a guy who he's a psychiatrist and he rents out an apartment and he sets up a video camera to document his mental unraveling. So that's kind of interesting. Of just kind of seeing like this dude's psychological deterioration where things kind of get murky is whenever he starts inviting all these women over. And like you see from a filmmaking perspective, it's interesting because it's one of like the early kind of experimental movies where they're, it's like a static shot and you're just seeing him in this context of just documenting his life. And you do, I mean, it's a staged 
thing. It's like it's a narrative, so it's not a documentary or anything. But this character, you get to see him having interesting conversations with these women, but it also goes into just like some weird sleazy areas and stuff. No, sir. I know. Yeah. It's like I said, it's problematic. It's not great. But if you're a Rip Torn fan, I think it's one of like his more interesting performances. Like he gets very intense and weird and he really goes for it. So on that basis alone, it's an interesting cultural artifact. But once again, not great. So this is like two things that I think are interesting, but not great. I'm just throwing it out there. If people are just wanting to like dive into weird or problematic old cinema, (laughs) here are two recommendations for you. Hopefully next time I'll have some actually legit good recommendations. I just found these were like intriguing. It's like the problematic parts of the original Flatliners with Billy Baldwin's character. (laughs) Oh yeah, which is insane. Mm -hmm. Gross. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so it's like that it's not a position that he's doing a good thing. Like I said, he is mentally unraveling, but it is kind of 60s counterculture, like experimental filmmaking. It's it's a whole thing. But Oh, so you're saying paranormal activities stole that yeah. technique. <laughs> Absolutely. Everyone at... The cinematic classic paranormal <laughs> activity. Yes. If you like to see a swinging door just kind of gently <laughs> open up a little bit, if that sends shivers down your spine... <laughs> Have you ever thought about how redundant Riptorn's name is? <laughs> <laughs> Not until now, but that's all I will, all I will think about. <laughs> what is he? Is he ripped? Is he torn? He's both. <laughs> uh, on that delightful, <laughs> delightful observation, mm-hmm. let's get into some real movies. Let's get into some real classics. Let's get into some sun dancing. <laughs> shall we sun dance? We shall. I, uh... You don't speak Romanian. You don't like? No, it's lovely. (laughs) There's this guy that lives across the street, and he's always looking over here. Looking over here how? Every time I look over there, he's just staring right at me. Hello, darling. Any reason in particular you're standing in the dark? Watcher debuted at the Sundance Film Festival earlier this year in January 2022. The film is written and directed by Chloe Okuno, based on an original screenplay by Zach Ford. The film stars Micah Monroe, Carl Glusman, and Bern Gorman. As a serial killer stalks the city, a young actress who just moved to town with her boyfriend notices a mysterious stranger watching her from across the street. You gotta love a film with such a concise premise. (laughs) So this one, I had been highly anticipating this. And despite the fact that I'm pretty sure, like I watched at least 50 movies and I think you were right behind me at like 48, I'm pretty sure at this year's Sundance, we somehow did not watch this movie. Even though I was very interested. So I'm glad we finally got to watch it. We got the new Blu-ray from IFC Films. And I heard a lot of really good things about it. It had the Rotten Tomatoes seal of approval on the front. So I had my expectations moderate. Like, I tried to keep them moderately in check. But I did do my homework to make sure it wouldn't be, like, too much to freak you out. <laughs> yeah. And I did like that it was kind of described as Hitchcockian, which I always know that you zero in on. Mm -hmm. So was this movie effective? Was it good? Yes. I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was very good. I think that Chloe has like a really 
really solid eye for like composition and direction and everything. She crafted this film within an inch of her life. I think she did such a great job. This film is just at 90 minutes. There's no fat on it pretty much. And I really like the natural but subtle progression that Julia played by Micah Monroe. Her progression from first noticing that something like, oh, that's weird. Someone is across the street until eventually full-blown terror and just no one really completely being on her side and the whole kind of gaslighting thing and or at least just like not believing women kind of thing just like oh you're ridiculous you're just making too much of this that (laughs) kind of thing oh it's just harmless I like the way it really progresses I like a nice pace and it kind of ratchets up naturally and she really just nails the pacing of this really well and I think the acting's really good even though some of the characters frustrate me I think that's intentional so I just very impressed by this movie it exceeded my expectations that's good i had seen that a good amount of people enjoy the movie Mm -hmm. so i was expecting good things but i didn't want to set my expectations too high Mm -hmm. but reading the description i figured i would be okay with it just based on what it is and it's not like supernaturally Mm -hmm. or whatever and i enjoyed the movie i thought it was good i thought that chloe she was really good at building tension Mm -hmm. and it's a sweaty palms movie it kind of reminds me of just like a over long episode of one of my favorite spooky podcasts let's not meet oh yeah it's got a lot of those elements which i really like hearing those stories and everything even though most of the time they're extremely frustrating and then this movie is extremely frustrating and it's for the same reasons. So I liked the movie and I liked how it was pretty much, it's kind of like a homage to movies of that genre, Hitchcockian Hmm. stuff, other stalkery movies. So I like that it is that way, but then it brings a new perspective, more, more of the female perspective and... Even though, yes, I do think that it's good and I do appreciate everything that she's doing with it, there are some parts that are more pointed and slightly heavy-handed where, I don't know, maybe it could be like more subtle sometimes, but I just think that maybe it seemed like she was putting a lot into one movie, so maybe just a few things and not everything because it touched on so many things there's not only just like the believe women but of course or you get into this stuff with hysteria which is ridiculous like people not believing women because of the trope of hysteria and you also get into just male partners her husband francis yeah whenever he's belittling her at points and then he's invalidating her feelings a lot of times and then you you get into the parts where of course men will make jokes out of things he made a joke about the situation and there was no reason to make the joke it was outrageous that he even did that like what person would do that make a joke out of something so serious and frightening and gross basically joking that a serial killer would keep her company because he doesn't have to be there to entertain her and she doesn't know anyone in this new country because mm-hmm. she's all alone and it's just ridiculous so just like that stuff and then there's even how ineffective the police are with the situation which i hear all the time in that podcast as well mm-hmm. just they cannot do anything there's nothing that they can do and it shows multiple times how ineffective they are unless they walk in on the moment that the person is doing something they're pretty much useless Mm -hmm. and then even after that they probably won't do much and then she even puts in (laughs) the thing uh darvo d-a-r-v-o where it's like whenever you have domestic abuse victims and their abuser the abuser uses that technique the d-a-r-v-o darvo where they essentially reverse it and it makes them seem like they are the victim and then it gets everyone against the actual person who's being abused and everyone gangs up on the person who's being abused whenever it's he said she said kind of things that's what they do and then people they take sides and all of that stuff that was even in there (laughs) in the movie yeah it was just wild there's very pointed dialogue where one of the characters she's talking to another woman and she says i understand it's better to find out what's going on 
than to actually die and have I told you so on your lips as you're dying near the end. There's that moment. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get too spoilery, but you know where this movie goes. You know where it's going the entire time because it hits all the, the tropes and stuff and the structure. But it has those extra elements in there where it's more, I don't want to say like feminine, but it's from that perspective instead of just, it's so much fun to watch a woman scream and get chased <laughs> and then you don't really know much about her. You're not like in her headspace and like how scary this is and how it can seem so benign but it's terrifying and people don't take it seriously enough how women have to be hyper aware of their surroundings of everything and if someone looks strangely at them the hairs on your neck go up and you have to listen to your gut and you have to listen to your intuition and all of this stuff and if something feels wrong you have to do something and if you don't do anything no one's gonna help you you have to take care of yourself you have to advocate for yourself so there's like all that stuff in there so you know where it's going but the journey is interesting and intense thrill ride <laughs> Yeah, I mean, sure, uh, you can guess where it's going unless you subscribe to the possibility that she's losing her mind or whatever. Yeah, uh, but like with those movies, you know that she can't do that because if you do that, it would invalidate the woman's experience and everything that she's going through and what she's trying to say. So you're saying if it was directed by a dude, he'd be like, let's do this. Yeah, there are plenty like, of those. He, like, pulls, like, let me pull this one. Yeah, there are plenty of those. Yeah. What if she is the killer? Yeah. Yeah. I knew that it couldn't go that way because of everything that's happening before. And then if Chloe had done that, it would be awful. Yeah. There are a couple different subtle ways the ending could have differed. But I think it all basically needed to end up in the same place With if you didn't want to kind of, like you said, invalidate the movie. One thing I didn't touch upon in my initial assessment that I think is very important to the movie is how this film is a lot about social social isolation and the language barriers that she has with everyone and not being able to relate to. She has a neighbor that she relates to, but then also she cannot be like a consistent source of comfort or like bouncing ideas off of her and everything because Mm -hmm. she's also has her own life. And I don't want to like read too much into certain things, but then also that character is also treated. She's not into like sex work specifically, but she is selling her body, but not in like a prostitution way, but she's a stripper. (laughs) I was shaking my head because I was like, where you're going, you're correct. (laughs) Yeah, like, because she is also discarded. Like, whenever she is possibly in peril, no one really seems to care because she's just, that's her. She is, Mm -hmm. she's always with different men living up and up and partying Mm -hmm. and stuff. So that's another way of not taking Julia seriously because she's concerned about this person that no one else seems to be really concerned about because she's just this girl who's into that lifestyle or whatever. So I don't feel like this movie, I don't think it's overstuffed or anything. I mean, I I can understand where you think that maybe it was slightly heavy handed or too much. I don't know. I think it, for me, it flowed naturally with what she was trying to do. But I'm sure I could like listen to you for five minutes and be like, okay yeah I guess that was maybe too much I don't know it seemed like a natural building upon things so yeah she was going for a lot but uh, most of it hit with me yeah I mean she puts a lot in it but I do think it fits well in the movie it's just that sometimes with everything in it certain moments and certain dialogue it's really pointed Mm-hmm. And, I mean, not everyone's going to be like, I thought that was really heavy-handed or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Some of it's really obvious, I guess, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. I was just amused and intrigued by how much she puts in there. <laughs> there's even, with her friend, her neighbor, who you are just talking about, there's the element of how women have to look out for each other. Yeah. <laughs> if you have any sort of internalized misogyny or anything and you just think that Julia's hysterical or whatever and you don't help, that would be like another thing. But her neighbor, Irina, she's pretty much the only one who takes her seriously. And she even says specifically, thank you for looking out for me. I'll try to do the same for you. Women have to look out for each other. Yeah. I can understand why you would probably think that maybe there are certain things that are, like I said, too on the nose or this is too underlined or whatever. But for some of the audience, dopes like me, who are watching this like maybe it's not so obvious especially like a lot of dudes who need it more spelled out for them Mm. a bunch of women who are watching this might be more likely to be like oh yeah like i see what she's getting here like Mm. i see what she's doing but then dudes are just like oh okay it might seem like more novel to them because they're not as keyed into those specific experiences i mean i don't want to specifically call myself out for being like (laughs) 
cued into the how women observe things. Well, I mean, that makes sense. It's more, she crafted the movie to be more of like a lived-in experience because it's a lot of experiences of women mm-hmm. around the world. It's almost universal. Yeah. I mean, you might not be like dealing with a serial killer, but weird, creepy behavior like that is pretty universal. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just especially appreciate, like you said, this type of film has been done so many times before. We've mentioned Hitchcock and everything. Just recently, I watched Fright Night and stuff and like films like that. But then Chloe is layering so many other newer elements that, to mm-hmm. make it feel fresh and make it feel like, oh, there's a reason this exists. And it isn't just like, oh, it's another one of these. It just it kind of feels different. So even if it is ambitious and how much she wants to tackle overall, it works for me yeah even if certain things are maybe heavy-handed you're still enjoying it because it's so tense and it is like a really good thriller mm-hmm. there's even a part where it's like one of those frustrating parts where julia wants help with her neighbor across the street and she talks to Irina's ex-boyfriend i think and she gets him to help her and is like hey can you just knock on this dude's door i want to see him mm-hmm. make him come out i want to see him the movie even even goes into how men like mishandle this whole thing and like make things worse yes. yeah and like, I, i'm gonna yell at this yeah, person overtly just yelling everything and threatening him and i was just like you are making this so much worse for her and dude's like i'm gonna scare the shit out of him yeah. this is gonna be great and she's like i've got to deal with this yes and he was just like you're welcome, basically, and just walks off, and yeah. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> he just walks out into the night, just like, I really helped her out. Yeah, it's been handled. <laughs> and she's just like, Jesus Christ. And he feels so good about himself. Yeah. <laughs> because he's like, I took time out of my day to do this, and not a lot of guys would do this. <laughs> yeah, he even comes up and he's like, you're not going to have to worry about him anymore. Yeah. And it's like, okay, cool, dude. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure, Jan. <laughs> There's also the whole thing where, just like in the podcast, Let's Not Meet, in this movie, mm-hmm. even though it's nothing new, just how astounded I am of the complete audacity of men mm. all throughout these stories. Just like men demanding apologies for things and yeah. absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, there's a moment of, I would say like confrontation where like there's power dynamics being exchanged it's akin to like forcing an abused person to face their abuser when they don't want to that type of situation i like how chloe shoots that to be like more excruciating than a lot of the existential horror like the anxiety that is as terrifying as if you had seen someone just pop up in a window it's just like the slow dread of like confrontation really unsettling yeah if you're talking about the scene that i think you're talking about with the police officer yeah and there's also just that same dread and like sick moment like that sickness that you feel in your stomach later in the movie Mm -hmm. i do have to give props to the creep burn Mm -hmm. gorman which right before we watched this movie we watched crimson peak he pops up in that movie you're like this dude always plays a creep and i was like yep (laughs) and then like the next movie we watch watcher and he pops up and he's the main creep yeah you're just like that's him i'm like yep (laughs) It's so weird. So, Burn, you a real creepy guy. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm just talking about the cast. I'll also just shout out her doofus husband. Yeah. I just hate how he would, like, alienate her by, like, not... He could so easily speak in English, and everyone else understood English. I know people need to immerse themselves in the language to learn, but, like, just the basic having whole conversations that she can't understand just drove me wild. Yeah. There's certain situations where he would start doing that just so that he could keep her in the dark about certain things like I don't think she can handle this right now so I'm not going to speak any English and then whenever she's like what did you say because if they laugh or whatever and then he's like no don't worry about it I'll protect you like I decide what you can handle Mm -hmm. how your life's gonna go what you take in is ridiculous like I said earlier just him making that joke was insane it was gross and she was pissed rightly so she made him more so a doofus so that you can really get the point across how you need a more supportive partner Mm -hmm. and how 
men are sort of inept in these situations and seeing these things and taking women seriously, but he's that bad on purpose. But if we were in the same situation, you wouldn't be a total dumbass and do that. If I said something was wrong, especially if it's out of character, and I was like, hey, this is really freaking me out. This dude is leering at me and he is doing some really sketchy stuff. You'd probably believe me. This is a conversation we've had off podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We have talked specifically about like like time time loops loops or something like that. Like, or just like, if you're like, hey, I know this sounds like crazy, but I legit saw an alien last night. I'm like, okay, let's discuss. Or you're like, okay, we're in a time loop. I'm like, got you. Okay. What do we need to do? What? Like, okay. You've obviously been through this a couple of times. What steps do we need to take to get you out of this? Yeah. Okay. Is there going to be like a door that I like, I stub my toe in? Tell me about this time loop situation. I would totally believe you. Yeah. Like a bunch of other stuff because we've seen so many movies. Like if the situation, if I was like, hey, I'm from the future and I'm kind of stuck, but there's some things that I need to tell you, you'd be like, okay. (laughs) Like Roger that. I am all ears. (laughs) This is fascinating. Especially (laughs) since it's out of character. Yeah. But I trust you. Who knows where this could lead in the future? But like, it just, if anything like that mm-hmm. out of character, you're just like, hey, this isn't right. I know we joke about this, but like anything, if you're just like, this isn't right, I'd just be like, okay, I hear you. Yeah. What can we do? I mean, I think he's intentionally written like that to come off so that you can see like how dangerous it is yeah. that certain things are like ingrained in men now, how they're socialized. It's a reflex for them to resist something that a woman is saying. Mm-hmm. Like, this is wrong. I'm going to tell you why it's wrong or you're overreacting, anything like that. Even if they don't have any skin in the game or whatever. But he was like heightened, I guess. He started off like, oh, this sounds concerning. But like quickly, once it escalated to a certain point, he's just like, I'm not sure. Yeah. Are you sure? Like that type of thing. Yeah. And then just like the ending shot and everything, mm-hmm. the filmmaker is really hammering it in. <laughs> like, fuck men. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'll just say this. It comes to a point where the film could end one of two ways. Either way, it would have been like, fuck this dude. Yeah. 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 This is a good film for men in particular, but everybody to just chew over, like, discuss afterwards. Yeah. Like, what did you notice? What were you feeling? Why did you feel that way? Just like me, I'm like, uh, I have a feeling she might have been trying to make a comment, and you're like, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes, how... uh, He's getting it. (laughs) Yeah, how, like, oftentimes the abuse of sex workers and how they're discarded and killed and no one cares. (laughs) Maybe I'm reading too much into it. No, you're right there. You're right there. (laughs) Do not go in there. Woo! What is your rating system? My rating system is suspicious grocery bags. Mm. Mm. I would carry around four suspicious grocery bags out of five. Yeah, I think I'll go with four suspicious grocery bags out of five. That's creepy. That's a lot of suspicious (laughs) grocery bags. What do you got there? (laughs) If you want to see what's in the grocery bags, if you want to see if if this movie works for you, it is currently available to stream on Shudder, or as I mentioned, it is available on Blu-ray. So I think there's a commentary on the Blu-ray, so that's fun if you're interested in that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Either way, I recommend it. I had to deconstruct an entire belief system, toss it out, and reject it. American glory faded before me. It woke me up from constantly feeling like I was fighting for people's respect. I saw the scoreboard and ran for my life. It was happiness without anyone else's input. do this. I need to be on the right side of history. Taylor Swift broke her silence on politics over the week. Her voice in a whole new way. Miss Americana premiered at the 2020 Sundance Film Festival. It is directed by Lana Wilson. The documentary is a look at iconic pop artist Taylor Swift during a transformational time in her life as she embraces her role as a singer-songwriter and harnesses the full power of her voice. 
So a little fun bit of info. We were at the Sundance Film Festival that this premiered at, but we did not watch it at the festival because we knew that it was going to be on Netflix soon afterwards because it was snatched right up. We weren't there for the premiere to see her because that usually takes place in the first part of the festival whenever we came during the latter half, which is easier to get into screenings and stuff. So we missed that experience. <laughs> yeah, but like as soon as we like landed and got back, I think it was already on Netflix. So we were able to just jump right into it because it was the day pretty much Sundance ended. It was on Netflix. Yeah, we didn't want to spend $25 now. Yeah. A piece? Yeah, on that whenever we could just watch it on Netflix. But With Taylor not even being there. Yeah. (laughs) I was very much looking forward to the documentary. And just so you know where I'm coming from Mm -hmm. around Mm -hmm. this whole situation, like my mindset of it all. I am a fan of her, but I I will tell you, (laughs) I will tell you my history and everything. I'll just get out of the way. I did enjoy this documentary. I do very much like it. I find it to be very fascinating and also endearing. And I'm very much aware that she is able to cultivate what we're seeing, like the image of her, because she's just talking the whole time. And the only outside perspective that you get on her is just a little bit through her parents. Her mom appears and she'll talk about Taylor while she's sitting there or just it's not like talking heads where people are asked questions. So you don't get other memories from their perspective. And it's very much what she chooses to share, how much she chooses, what she leaves out, all of that. I'm very much aware of that. But I also like documentaries like that, just following people around. So I don't mind it, but like, I know, I know I'm not getting everything and it's, it's crafted. Carefully cultivated. Yeah. I'm aware, but knowing all of that, I still very much enjoy it. But like from the beginning, Taylor Swift, I've been aware of her since she pretty much started because one of my best friends, Laura, has been a Swifty since day one and she had her first album and she would talk about her and try to play the CD around us and everything and I don't really like pop country so I dismissed Taylor. I didn't really want to listen to the music, but inevitably I heard a lot of her stuff on the radio and I would watch music videos in the morning before school a lot of times. So I saw a lot of her music videos, especially You Belong With Me, which I like that song pretty well, but I don't really love pop country. I like other sub-genres and facets of country. I know bluegrass and country aren't like the same thing, but they're like the same family. So I like folk music, Americana, some bluegrass, more indie stuff, and then old country is fine. So I never really wanted to listen to her beginning albums. And from what I've heard, it's okay. I really like All Too Well now. I love that because of the resurgence because of the 10 minute version. It's a good one, but it's not like super country or whatever. And once she started getting poppier, the songs got better for me. But 1989 is where I really more so is like, okay, I can get on board with this. But like, it was just frustrating and irritating. Like I've told you before, whenever we listened to that, that was whenever she didn't have her music on Spotify. So I had to ask Laura for her CD and and borrow it. And that's how we listened to it. But like I told you, it just annoyed me because that album, yes, it's good. It's very cohesive and it's really good all the way through. There's not a lot of skips. It was a lot of stuff that had already been done before by all these other indie artists that I love Mm-hmm. and that we were listening to at the time. So it's like a bunch of Chaim and there's even Tegan and Sarah and there's a song that is now pretty much one of my favorites on the album, Wildest Dreams, that's essentially just a Lana Del Rey song. I was just irritated because everyone was like, this is groundbreaking. This is God's gift to earth. And I was like, she's not doing anything new. What is what is this? <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's, it's a good album and it grew on me more. I really like it. So, I mean, that's where I came in. And then Reputation took a bit for me to grow into that one as well and it's been fine after that but even whenever I wasn't really listening to her country stuff I did respect her as a songwriter and I could see how talented she is and I do like that even within like the confinements and limited capacity that country music especially pop country music offers she was able to put a lot of her
herself into it. That's why it, it made it so different. And that's why I think she just shot way up and out of the stratosphere and people loved her. I still really love her songwriting. I love the language that she uses. I love how she's a really good storyteller and I love her flowery language, even if it's not the subject matter isn't romantic or whatever, but just her style is very romantic. She captures that whole bittersweet feeling that I love so much, which is pretty much where I live most of the time. Mm -hmm. And she is really good with it. And I think she probably lives there too, which is why she's really good at it. It's like how something is so beautiful, but it makes you so sad because you know that it, it can't last. She's really good with putting that in music. I always am looking forward to her putting out new music. And I'm very intrigued with this whole uh, filmmaking thing that she's doing. So this documentary, I did enjoy learning a little bit more like different facets of certain periods of her life where we saw it all unfold in the media and then like YouTube videos later, her perspective on certain things that influenced her career, like the Kanye thing and her being more vocal about her political stances and how that changed things for society and just where she's coming from with being so controlled. I knew and I could tell how controlled she was with especially the country music stuff. You don't realize what parts of that are, are really affecting her and how I didn't realize how much she had structured her life around being loved, being adored, living off of applause, kind of like Tinkerbell. Mm -hmm. I also say I really enjoyed watching her evolution. It's been fascinating and there's stuff in the documentary about people always blaming her about being a victim and how she puts herself in those situations. It is fascinating how much the Kanye thing, the trajectory that it set her on. Sometimes I think about how different things would be if that wouldn't have happened. And also all of the slut shaming that she's had to deal with is insane. But that makes sense because of the early aughts and it was just awful for women. Just all the different phases and things and her talking about women in the music industry and how difficult it is and how much of a toll it can take on you. I was amused because I was thinking during it, this is probably for the Swifties it's like their get back oh yeah I mean get back the Beatles documentary if people don't know what I'm saying but you get to see Taylor in her songwriting process and singing and working with the producers it made me laugh because there was the part where she's trying to figure out the lyrics to I think it was well, there, I mean, there are multiple songs that she's doing that with, but one in particular, it might have been ready for it. And I could just imagine the Swifties being like, oh man, whenever you get this, it's going to be so great. You don't even know it's this lyric. Oh, and then whenever she gets it and they're like, oh, what a moment. <laughs> it's just like watching the Beatles where you're like, man, whenever you get this. <laughs> yeah. Like she does, that, I know that she does that with the man where she's That's like. That's probably what I'm thinking Where of. she's like, does this work? Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. Like, you know, when you're like bitches and models and stuff. Yeah, like, <laughs> I think that's what I was thinking of. Like, she was, should it, like a baller or like, should, what should I say? You know? Yeah, she's just working on it. And then where you see the moments where it's on film, where it clicks and she gets the right one and you're like, that's it. Nailed there it. it is. That's oh, her man. Paul McCartney moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It is really cool to watch her work. I'm sorry, I've talked too long about Taylor Swift. <laughs> She's a subject that inspires much passion, and I'm sure any Swifties that are listening will be like, yes, girl, I get it. <laughs> yeah. That's like the opening paragraph to like a novel that's in my head. <laughs> mm -hmm. I guess since you gave your background, I'll give a brief background. I mm. won't be as intense because no one cares about... I mean, I tried to be brief. <laughs> it's just difficult. I would just say my experience echoes a lot of what yours, and I'll try to like convey where we differ. I also really do not like pop country for the most part. There are certain songs that still get me, but for the most part, no, not interested really. So whenever she came on the scene, I don't even think I had heard her big song, Tim McGraw, that like <laughs> broke her. I'd never heard that song earlier, but like teardrops on my guitar board like I heard the hits usually if I heard them I was like this is fine even going any deeper really held no interest for me and even now as more of a fan I recently tried to go back and like listen to like Taylor's version of is it fearless that she mm -hmm. has now and I was like I'm a Taylor Swift fan let me go back and listen to this I'm like doesn't change my opinion on country music <laughs> like it's still it is what it is and like I still like the songs that I like and I don't really like the other songs so mm -hmm. there's a limit to my love for Taylor like, music wise <laughs> 
I guess I'll try to incorporate some of what this documentary. I realize with my feelings about Taylor, like they touched on this in the documentary. There was, I don't know, there's just like a lingering feeling I had for years. I kind of can pinpoint also another facet of this, but there were points where I just felt annoyed with Taylor. Just her energy mm-hmm. kind of like didn't jive with me. And I, like I said, they talk about this in the documentary. She talks about how people just don't, some people just didn't like her for like no reason, basically. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a lot of just the cultural things going on. And you hear like, oh, Taylor, she's annoying. I guess I did feel that she was trying too hard. Like she had that Tracy Flick energy in election. Like yeah. she just wanted to be like accepted. She just radiated that. But then it was also part of the media's influence and everything. Mm-hmm. But also like I realized there's also another facet for me of just my indie kid energy. I'm just like, she is so popular. Why? Just me annoyed by the popular. Like it's just like whenever like an artist that I like really love, whenever they break big, I appreciate they're, they're getting chances. But then there's also a, a small part of me that's just annoyed. I'm just <laughs> like, oh, that's not mine anymore. So it's kind of... Because you're afraid that they're going to change. Yeah. And they do a lot of times. I love a lot of like mid to early Kings of Leon. Mm-hmm. But then after like Sex on Fire and Use Somebody, they kind of just... Yeah. And Portugal the Man. Yeah. It happens so many times where artists conform to like different sounds to try to hit to the mainstream, which isn't exactly my experience with Taylor, but it's kind of that same thing of just like, everyone loves this girl. I do not like this music. Just a general like, why is this popular? Just mm-hmm. like me not understanding that, which I know is, is completely on me. It's not anything with her, but it just kind of like was a residual thing of just my feelings about Taylor Swift. Yeah. Even though she did put out like good songs and stuff, but then mm-hmm. once she did start heading towards pop and I was like, this is interesting, but I still wasn't completely on board, like you said, with especially like 1989, where I was like, oh, you can tell she's been hanging out with Haim and St. Vincent and every like, mm-hmm. I love these people. Why aren't her legions of fans supporting yeah. the artists that she's hanging out? Well, I mean, like Haim and St. Vincent, they're doing fine now, but like, yeah. They're not selling out stadiums like Taylor and I don't know, it just kind of annoyed me. Well, now their fans or Taylor's fans are with Haim at least. <laughs> yeah, like, like I said, they're doing fine now. They're like, they're getting their flowers. They're getting their attention. Mm-hmm. But at the time, especially, I was just like, Taylor doesn't seem to be going out of her way to be like, this is inspired by this. Mm. I mean, not that she necessarily needs to point out all of her influences, but like you could just tell, especially if you're a fan of those other bands and you know them better than you know Taylor, you're like, oh, this is her not ripping them off, but like very inspired by them needless to say she worked with one of my favorite bands like mm-hmm. the national and mm-hmm. stuff love her for that but not <laughs> not related to the documentary yeah, yeah. but my album was like once reputation hit i was like ooh, this is interesting it kind of was different and it's like a combo of that the reputation concert film on mm-hmm. netflix and then this documentary kind of shifted me towards being more like ooh, i like her mm-hmm. i look forward to her output so i mean i guess this documentary did its job because it solidified me like oh like i i can see why she has fans i can see why i allowed myself to be more of a fan mm-hmm. plus her music was getting better for me so it kind of all worked in tandem that's my background i know i said <laughs> i tried to be brief but it kind of went all over the place but this documentary specifically i do really like it i share all the same caveats with you like i know it's very controlled to a point and you're n- never with this type of thing gonna completely like warts and all full access blah 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 like type documentary with her Mm -hmm. but what is captured by Lana there is a lot of great stuff in here and it's very intriguing and like she delves in a lot of issues Mm -hmm. you do get varied perspectives and get recontextualizations of certain events even if you see clips from before just the way they are presented in this documentary and then complemented with modern comments from her I think is really like you talked about the Kanye stuff but just her post VMA interview talking about how kind of like you said her need for applause and like wanting to please people and her saying that she thought people were like booing her instead of booing what Kanye did and like how that set her back and all that stuff how all of it's put together it's a really tight documentary it flows really well it's very entertaining just the way it all weaves together is very interesting and then but she also talks about and like it's a really big thing is like her sexual assault case Mm -hmm. against that radio DJ and all that like how it impacted her how it also inspired her to like take control of her career more Mm there is a scene where she's talking about possibly making a stance in the political race in Tennessee which I think a very important part of our context that we failed to mention (laughs) she is from our area she didn't grow up here I think did she grow up Pennsylvania I think yeah 
we have that context of like we've always known Taylor Swift because she's like a local girl even though (laughs) I think a lot of people would claim her as like a local girl like I said we're from Tennessee so she was trying to make a statement against Marsha Asburn (laughs) because she is the devil incarnate Mm -hmm. and I appreciate that she did that I just knew that there was a man who was counseling her who I eventually realized was her father (laughs) and like two other dudes yeah like managers and stuff but just her fighting to just say like I just want to make a statement like I want to speak out against the president or against this party like this horrible person who is taking away rights from women stuff that would protect women basically anything that's of a woman's interest Mm -hmm. like Marsha has went against because she's like I said like Trump in a wig or whatever yeah (laughs) so I find all that both very infuriating but very fascinating how she's trying to like take control of her career and especially like in this time of her life as she gets more away from country which I think this is a very interesting insight into the more toxic natures of country and its fans and yeah. fandom and because like you have to play your role but country fans are gonna come at us I don't care we what we got like 15 people who were listening <laughs> to this who gets <laughs> even if I didn't like the direction her music was going which I do like I still appreciate her as a person and how she's grown like there's a lot of artists that like I appreciate them more as a person than like a musical figure like (laughs) I I like Taylor as both Mm -hmm. now and it's amusing to me like seeing her uh, recording I I do like the songwriting (laughs) process side of things there's so much time in this movie spent to uh, is it the song called Love like me no it's called me I think okay (laughs) I'm the only one yeah so that one like her and like the dude from uh panic at the disco and stuff brendan like, Urie. yeah i i like their uh, whole dynamic there's a lot of really like heartbreaking stuff in this too even aside from like the stuff with her mother and her cancer and everything it's kind of like an offhanded moment but one that really stuck with me is just her saying like i have the next three years playing for I was me just thinking that. like it's just like that she's so locked into things which it's so interesting to see like right after this documentary debuted at sundance pandemic hit so it kind of like upended everything yeah. which i think she needed definitely because like we got folklore and evermore and i think that kind of reinvigorated her but just like seeing her meet with her team around that big conference table and so many men yeah and it's just like you see them like chomping down on their salads yeah, and stuff like grossed me out i don't know why I did, but, did. <laughs> but just like how she has to get them on board for her vision broad overview like i'm really happy that she's taking control of her life it's a really entertaining documentary and i just like how it's kind of shaped and i don't know hold up, hold up. dylan dylan i'm gonna let you finish i'm gonna let you finish how dare but you taylor swift had the best personal growth of all time <laughs> all time you got me you got yeah i know what you're saying whenever she's at that meeting with all the dudes and her just saying like her life's planned out for the next two or three years or whatever you can really see how her life has gone Mm -hmm. since she's been what like 15 yeah or younger yeah Yeah. i just like the big industry people controlling her so much and then they're probably used to that because she's just a kid Mm -hmm. and now she's a full-grown woman and they can't do that anymore but then there's still all those aspects that they do control and it's weird just like her pleading to be able to say something against trump and conservative republicans and all that and then being like i don't think it'll be good don't do it but she's crying and she's like please let me do this just to be able to say something is so good it's heartbreaking and then of course whenever she does it it's absolutely fine and like voter registration skyrockets yeah and it's all good the way they're like (laughs) hey you know all your fans right now like all your stadiums and stuff how would you like to see that drop by like a quarter or whatever i couldn't believe they were saying those things first off her fan base has grown the fans that she would gain i think would offset the fans that she would lose because like people who are on the fence about her who are like more progressive would be like oh she is like okay i like what she's saying and she's also changing her music so like that's already alienated a bunch of her country fans who don't care about her pop stuff and yeah so it's a moot point yeah i don't understand what they were thinking to say that to her it just it didn't make sense they're just scared of their like losing their golden goose if you can't take me at my worst you don't deserve me at my best (laughs) (laughs) okay country fans (laughs) 
and she like as we see now she doing just fine yeah she hasn't been able to tour in a while but i think she's doing fine yeah the fans never got the lover tour mm. <laughs> and i think there's been like a bunch of rumors now swirling around that she's kind of hinting that they're gonna get that too or but there's also people are like she's about to announce a tour which is most likely going to happen i saw something just today about uk pre-orders of the album and something about a code and concert day so it's going to happen mm -hmm. but I wonder what she's going to do with it because she's got three albums well uh, yeah the four albums to cover yeah usually tours are like hey this is the newest album but mm -hmm. then she didn't tour on the past three so I wonder how it's gonna go if we were ever going to go to concerts in the next few years like <laughs> I would want to see her like with the folklore and evermore stuff I mean depending how midnight turns out but yeah but it would be so much to fit in you'd lose a lot though yeah it'll be interesting to see what she does good luck sweetie. 50s. <laughs> <laughs> with your favorite songs <laughs> taylor's just like no big deal i'll just play a four-hour show <laughs> yeah bruce springsteen this <laughs> <laughs> yeah country music like i was saying before it, it held her back so much mm -hmm. and i think now that she is taking more control her music is really i think it sounds more like her like this is her mm -hmm it's more what she wants to do and now that she's able to just like go full tilt and what she wants to say and how she wants to do things look at all the amazing output we've had mm -hmm. because she ditched scooter whatever the hell Run. his name is yeah. and whatever scooter mcneuter <laughs> <laughs> burned his ass <laughs> she ditched those bozos and she's still amazing and she's just gonna keep getting amazing yeah it's so fascinating just to see a person grow and mature in front of your eyes it's pretty cool yeah i'm i'm happy for this era of taylor and i'm glad that she was able to like capture this specific moment because there was a lot going on for her is it 85 minutes something around that yeah it's a concise but like there's a lot packed into it yeah i kind of wish that it were longer mm -hmm. i wouldn't mind it being two hours but she didn't want to share that much mm -hmm. <laughs> we got what we got we got to see a like a big old puppy riding on an airplane yeah that was funny <laughs> I love the restraint it had. Like, its face was right there by the food, but it was yeah. like, I won't. I won't. We got to see a kitty on a piano. Yeah, got to see. Kitty backpack. Yeah. I know she has three now, I believe, and I'm pretty sure one's named Meredith, so I don't know which one that was. And her addressing those gross clips of, like, you're going to be able to leave here with a bunch of guys tonight. She's like, I'm not leaving with any guys. <laughs> yeah, just that clip and then watching her face change, like, just darken, and she's like, I'm not leaving here with any guys guys and the person who was asking her the question was probably just like <laughs> that's funny whatever and just yeah. didn't even realize that she was like fuck yeah. you <laughs> yeah just all the the shaming woman shaming i'll just also say i love seeing some uh taylor swift goofball energy mm -hmm. there's some goofy things and I know, it's just nice it helps humanize her yeah that's another thing that i thought of whenever you're talking about the media depicting her as trying too hard and mm. that's how she comes off but that's what everyone says, so that's what everyone thinks. It's like self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, during that time, she was a teenager and early 20s and stuff, and people were saying that, and it's just the same old thing where people hate teenage girls and their interests, and she's just being a young woman. That's how they act, and then people are like, that's cringe. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, okay, it's just the same old thing where it's like, well, if teenage girls like this, it's gross and cringe and superficial and it's stupid. I don't like it. It's yeah. dumb. Let's hate on it. Her being herself, she is like a, a weirdo. She's really funny and goofy. That's just her. And that's what makes everything great. I think the documentary also does a great job if you are unaware of Taylor Swift and her life, just how much stuff she's had to go through and how much our society and the media has put her through, I think it shows that pretty well. So you can get a better idea of where she's coming from. And so good reason to watch if you're interested in her at all, even a passing interest. Oh, good for you. And how was it? After all that, I need to know, what is your rating system? I think I'm gonna have to go with, I think you probably know that I gotta go with teardrops on a guitar. I won't say my guitar, but on a guitar. <laughs> You're not taking possession of the guitar? Yeah. Okay. It's still hers. Teardrops on how, Taylor's guitar. How, how many tears are we going <laughs> to just spray all over Taylor's these, guitar? These are happy tears because in that song, they're sad tears. These okay. are happy tears. So Taylor's going to watch us just... <laughs> 
happily cry on her guitar. Correct. This many tears. I think I will give this documentary four and a half teardrops on Taylor's guitar out of five. What is that? Half tear? <laughs> just half a tear. Just <laughs> came out before it was totally ready. Oh. Hmm. I think I will give this a solid four stars. Nice. Four teardrops, that is. Mm-hmm. If you want to know how many teardrops you cry all over Taylor's guitar, <laughs> you can watch this exclusively on Netflix. The law says that you cannot touch. But I think I see a lot of lawbreakers up in this house. Wow, that's a lot of ones. There were some fives in there. Oh, okay. No 20s? Uh, You don't want to know what I have to do for 20s. So you're going to come and show tonight? No. You're going to come and show tonight? No. You just said over there that you'd like to show. (laughs) That doesn't mean I'm going to go again. Magic Mike was released in 2012. It is written by Reed Carolyn and directed by Steven Soderbergh. It stars Channing Tatum, Alex Pettifer, Matthew McConaughey, Cody Horn, Olivia Munn, Matt Bomer, Joe Manginello, Adam Rodriguez, Kevin Nash, and Gabriel Iglesias. By day, Mike makes ends meet any way he can, handyman jobs, detailing cars, or designing furniture. But by night, he's the hot headliner in an all-male review. Mike sees potential in a 19-year-old named Adam, whom he dubs the kid, and takes the teen under his wing and instructs him in the tricks of the trade. However, success soon goes to Adam's head, and his foolish actions not only threaten to jeopardize his sister Brooke's relationship with Mike, but Mike's ambitions as well. So it took a long time to watch this movie. Because you wouldn't stop asking me to pause it so you could just stare at those beautiful men. <laughs> <laughs> Took us eight hours to watch this movie. <laughs> no, I meant years to get to it. <laughs> I was hoping that it would be fun. I think it's fun, but it wasn't as fun as I wanted it to be. Mm. And I don't know. Not enough for horn dog Jessica over here? I guess. <laughs> I don't know what I was expecting because it can't just be... I mean, it could be just like a movie where it's just male strippers, woo, nothing else. But there's I like I think that is the sequel, pretty much. Okay. I think they're just on a road trip and yeah. stripping around. <laughs> it's just the stuff outside of the strip club. The plot was fine, but sometimes it seemed dull to me, and I wasn't really feeling it. Sometimes the chemistry with Cody Horn and Channing Tatum it wasn't exactly the strongest for me. It was okay, but I don't think that she was awful or anything. I think you mentioned that people didn't like her in the movie yeah i didn't really love her in the movie but i also i mean i'm not saying anything bad about her but i will note that she is i think the daughter of like the president of disney yeah so, you mentioned something like that yeah so like i'm not saying she's not deserving of her spot but i'll just <laughs> say that may have had a some <laughs> impact <laughs> yeah i don't think she was terrible but it wasn't like the strongest or anything. Some of, I guess the plot just kind of fell flat for me. I guess that makes sense with Steven Soderbergh, but it's just like a really like commentary on just the recession in 2008 and then capitalism. <laughs> you didn't think you were just going to get free reign at just <laughs> ogling hot dudes. You need to talk about the financial collapse. I know, and that's totally fine because he does point out how stripping isn't really taken seriously and it's not like a, a normal day job or whatever. People, Yeah, people don't see it as just like, that's a normal, respectable day job. And even in stripping, there are still those men at the top that won't let you succeed or there's no mobility. Upper. Yeah, and Mike is in all of these, with these jobs, except for the furniture making, I guess. There's no upward mobility within these things and he wants more and he aspires to more and he's he's got his whole like identity crisis and stuff i mean it's good that you get to see some of the darker aspects of stripping and stuff it's not like completely glorified or anything it amuses me that like a movie about male stripping there are these heavier concepts and things that are happening within the movie and it's more like higher concepts like Mm -hmm. high-minded things and then if you have things like striptease or um showgirls or whatever it seems more superficial the other things surrounding the stripping or burlesque or whatever that's going on. Are you going to disrespect Paul Verhoeven's vision of (laughs) showgirls and his commentary? Yeah, just like... It seems more not petty in certain ways. I know that there are layers to a bunch of, like, Hustlers, you have these Mm -hmm. themes that happen in Magic Mike. Yeah. Because it's, like, the same time period. There's also Full Monty is lighter and it's not heavy like this, I don't think. 
But yeah, I, I was just amused. Not saying that you can't get those things out of some of the past things, because there are layers. Even if the filmmaker didn't intend to completely say these things, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people can be like, oh, and point at certain things. The movie Magic Mike altogether, it was just fine for me, I guess. I guess even like the actual stripping and choreography and everything, it wasn't as great as I thought it would be. I thought it would be like more of a spectacle or something, but it wasn't as much. Maybe that goes into like filmmaking and certain things like the male gaze in this movie and how bodies are sexualized and what's going on. How would it have been different if it was a female filmmaker and would those scenes have been better i don't know because you also have the scenes with certain women whenever um adam goes to parties and all the the strippers are going to parties and they're doing drugs and going crazy and everything and i think i guess there's sort of like an orgy happening at one point and you have those women that are they're almost like faceless and they're exploited in the scenes and you still have that even though it's a movie about male strippers so i don't know there's just a lot going on <laughs> Yeah, I kind of knew what I was getting into with this one. I kind of knew roughly, like, plot and, like, what Steven was trying to, like, say with this movie. Like, I know it's based somewhat on uh, Channing's real life, mm -hmm. like, as a stripper back <laughs> yeah. in the day. And I like that he collaborated with his friend Reed Carolyn, who he's continued to collaborate, like, with co-directing Dog with him earlier mm -hmm. this year and everything. They're really tight and have been partners ever, I think, since before this, but, like, especially since the they've been doing their thing in Hollywood but I don't think it's great I think it's pretty entertaining at least yeah I can understand that especially some of the uh, financial struggles and everything it can get a little bit either repetitive or just kind of boring especially a lot of stuff especially with Adam I like, I didn't really care too much about what happened to him I, mm -hmm. he was a good surrogate for the audience to get into this world but as far as me caring about what happened to him I didn't really yeah. and him and Brooke I mean I already kind of touched on my feelings about Brooke but like she wasn't given a ton to do but also like Olivia Munn's character who is on and off again with Mike Joanna um, mm -hmm. she just kind of like was nothing as well so it's just like mm -hmm. most of these people weren't giving that much depth you understood their struggles on a fundamental level but for the most part you didn't get a lot of depth with most people mostly like Mike and Adam I guess were the most but yeah so I do feel that I mean Soderbergh he obviously didn't like rewrite the script or anything i think reed and like i guess chaining who's not like official screener but i know they collaborated i think they needed to go a little bit more into this script like they needed to dig a little bit deeper steven does a good job and it's composed well and everything he brings an identity to this movie but it's it's not one of his best movies by any stretch of the imagination mm -hmm. he seems much more interested in the financial collapse he like shoots the scenes the dancing scenes well but like you said it's nothing i also think whenever you were mentioning like i wasn't that impressed by the dancing scenes you've also seen like a lot of this stuff on ellen and everything when they're like doing like the magic mic live and everything <laughs> yeah. it might not seem as dynamic as to what you might see like at the live shows or something yeah i guess i mean like if you were to go to the show it's probably better than the movie yeah yeah i don't know the choreography was like okay yeah it didn't seem like they really like lingered on stuff to me. but <laughs> The moment you would get of Mike really getting into like his street dancing and stuff mm -hmm. like that, I think that was pretty well done and everything. But then a lot of times they would cut away from that. So you didn't get to really get into it. But then like a lot of the dancers, I guess it was kind of realistic that they weren't all like A+. plus. <laughs> they all had their things that they did, mm -hmm. but they weren't all like top tier dancers. These dudes, they didn't seem to really be bringing it. They had their moments, but like consistently, it wasn't as impressive as it could have been. I'm interested to see what they do in Magic Mike 2. I mean, yes, it might have less depth, but <laughs> uh, it might be more fun. It seemed like the person who was having the most fun was Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Uh, as always. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, he does do a good job in the movie. His character is pretty intense. That's that uh, McConaughey swagger. Yeah. Especially in this role, like he used all of his southern charm and like dialed it up dallas <laughs> yeah he made the movie more fun mm -hmm. and adam he's just such a blank character he always I got on my nerves he he really pissed me off 
just yeah. what he did and the situation that he put Mike in. And I was like, you're the worst. Completely agree. Uh, it sounds like I hate this movie. I think it was fine. It's interesting that there were so many reports when this movie came out of women showing up in full force and being like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, from what I've heard, most people seem to have had a good time with it and got what they wanted from it. But yeah. it's surprising given what this movie actually is. Yeah. That they got what they wanted out of it. I guess because I don't know if things have come out from whenever it was released until now that have been more so like whoa I don't know I think the closest thing maybe would be like Fifty Shades of Grey maybe women are serviced so little in this area so it's just like any water in the desert they're like yes yeah that's what I mean like at the time there's barely anything ever for women and then this pops up and of course they market it to the fullest extent to that like hey women look at this and women and gay men yeah and then it's just not a bait and switch but it's just what they do where they're just like here's our target audience woo look at this dudes male strippers and then you go in and you're like oh this is a bit of a downer yeah and then you have the film nerds who are like oh cool steven soderbergh movie okay like me (laughs) he's so interested in like the filmmaking technique and process yeah just trying anything once yeah, he seems more interested in that, especially in like the last decade or so, than specific narratives a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. It can be frustrating, but... Works for him. Yeah, he's he's more like quantity over quality, it seems. <laughs> you burnt. <laughs> I mean, some of it's good, some of it's not. Yeah. Going back to whenever it was released, mm-hmm. since women do get so little, especially at that time, they knew that marketing it that way it would make them a ton of money and it did just women showing up in droves but not really understanding the lesson of just like give women more things to watch (laughs) yeah and you'll keep getting a lot of money yeah And also just everyone else. It doesn't have to be just women, just everyone like. Yeah, don't just stick to like one point of view. Mm -hmm. Because I want to check out all kinds of different movies from people who aren't just white dudes. Yeah, because that's boring. This one, script let me down. Pacing was, eh. it just was kind of middling. I did want more as well. Yeah, it's entertaining enough. It's just kind of (laughs) dull. Pretty good. Pretty, 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 pretty good. Hit me with that rating system. My rating system is assless chaps. Ooh. (laughs) Are you uh, wearing them or inspecting them? (laughs) I'm inspecting them. Okay. How many assless chaps are you going to gaze upon? (laughs) I think I will give this movie three assless chaps out of five. A lot of booty. Yeah. What about your rating system? I'm going to go with stage humps. <laughs> okay. I'll give three and a half stage humps. I'll pump it three and a half times. <laughs> Ooh, you'd be grinding that stage. Yeah. If you're interested to see how this movie <laughs> lands for you, it is currently streaming on HBO Max and available on Blu-ray from Warner Brothers. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Home Dance Film Festival. Join us again next time when we'll be discussing a fine array of movies, I'm sure. If you have any thoughts or opinions about the movies we discussed today or movie suggestions, you can write us at homedancepod at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter and tweet at us at homedancepod. If you enjoyed our episode today, please rate it and leave a review. If you did not enjoy this episode, I don't know, like, go away and don't talk to me. (laughs) Share this episode with a Swifty that you love. There has to be a Swifty in your orbit somewhere. Or maybe don't in case I said something wrong because I fear their wrath. I'm so conflicted about (laughs) whether to spread this to Swifties. Either way, as I have this existential crisis, see me document this as you follow me on Twitter and Instagram at DylanGonzalez2. You can also find me publishing reviews almost daily on GeekVibesNation.com, as well as on YouTube, co-hosting The Video Attic with my colleague Mike Bond on the Geek Vibes Podcast YouTube channel. And you can follow me on Twitter at JustThenZero. Pretty sure the underscore is at the end. 
You can also find me contributing to geekvibesnation.com. We are proud to be a part of the Geek Vibes Nation podcasting network. Original music for the show is provided by Andrew Carroll, who can be found at musicbyandrewcarroll.com. Original artwork for the show is provided by Ben Belcher, who can be found on Instagram at the art of Ben Belcher. I've been Dylan. And I've been Jessica. All right, finally got it done. Jessica, I'm not sure about this episode. I think it might suck. You say I did something bad, then why does it feel so good? Bye!